Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we're continuing our series on the Clone Wars, but we're going to take a step back. We've just finished the third season, and I know um, we took a big break to cover The Mandalorian, so some folks may have forgotten what we've been talking about. I also know we're getting a lot of new people subscribing who are suddenly interested in the Clone Wars because of all the references to it from Mandalorian. Maybe you're watching along with us. Maybe you are never going to get around to watching it, but want to just get caught up and know all about Ahsoka and all the things you're going to hear about in the coming Star Wars content. Either way, I hope this is the kind of show that you want to be a part of. And what we're going to do today is kind of a primer and a catch-up. We're going to go over what are kind of the main themes that have been covered in these first three seasons, so that even if you weren't listening along, although you certainly are welcome to go back, all those episodes are still on the server. But if you don't want to do that, this will kind of give you a general catch-up, get you ready as we start season four next week. So, and I'm my regular hosts for the Clone Wars are, are with me as usual, Riki and Sarah Hayashi. All three of us will be kicking that off right after this commercial break, which we have no control over. Welcome back. This is Matthew, your host. As I said, I'm joined by my regular co-hosts for the Clone Wars, Riki and Sarah. How are you two doing tonight? Uh, we're okay. I feel like our cat is also becoming a regular co-host, and I would have liked to apologize for that again. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've now mentioned this on two other podcasts, but just to let people know, if you haven't heard those already, um, I'm recording tonight on my home computer. I recently had to take the whole thing apart, and now my microphone isn't working, so I'm using a headset mic instead. It is not the best sound quality, for which I apologize, but I know we're trying to get it better. I also know you guys have been trying some new things. Basically, if the sound isn't as much as you like it, I promise we're working on it. It will keep improving. Um, but with that, let's jump right into kind of what we're talking about. And I remember I suggested the Clone Wars to you, Riki, um, and you started watching it. And at first, I was getting a lot of instant messages from you about like why why am I watching this show? Um, and then eventually, I know you two really started to really get into it. So, what is it you like about the show? What is it that makes the show something that that we're all excited about uh, almost every week, getting together to talk about and to review and and where it fits in the Star Wars universe? Well, I love Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, a good start. that's to put it simply. And honestly, like, I had always been interested in watching Clone Wars, mm -hmm. but everyone said the same thing. Like, oh, it's a little slow to get started. And so, like, I never, I never dedicated the time to get going on it until you had suggested it. And I think also, um, I had watched the movie Solo. Yeah. And it's got the big reveal at the end of Darth Maul. And because I had never watched the Clone Wars, I was just like, oh my gosh, Darth Maul. <laughs> and yeah. and people who had watched the Clone Wars like, yeah, he's he's still alive. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> so I think that also motivated me to want to see this, see the continuation of his story, because he, you know, he got kind of cut short, mm -hmm. literally, yeah. in The Phantom Menace. <laughs> His story was bifurcated in ways we did not like. Um, yeah, I, I think I was kind of the opposite in that, like, I never wanted to watch it. I'd, mm -hmm. I'd heard that, you know, watching The Clone Wars makes the prequels a lot better. And I was just sort of resentful that I had to watch an entire TV series to make three movies <laughs> good. Uh, but I'm really glad that we did. I'm really enjoying it. Um, like Ricky said, the first couple seasons are a little slow, but I think... A lot of TV shows have that that issue at least. Yeah. Like, Old, older TV shows, so like 
stuff that I grew up with in the 90s and the 2000s, you know, Star Trek, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they all have a similar problem where they start the show and they take a lot of time to so you can get to know the characters and there's a formula. The X-Files too, right? Had a formula of kind of a monster of the week and then, you know, then they might have a mythology show with the whole conspiracy theory. And they needed to fill, you know, 20 to 26 episodes every year. Whereas shows we watch today on streaming often are like 6 to 10 episodes. They're very tight. They need to get to the point much quicker. So I think they are structurally better TV shows now. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. We have kind of a joking rivalry between the Star Wars podcasters and the Star Trek podcasters (laughs) on the Stranded Panda Network. And... You know, anytime folks want to want to tell me about some of the problems with these, I'll always remind them of season one of TNG, which has some, you know, becomes a wonderful show and has like Measure of a Man and great episodes, but a lot of clunkers as well. Um, actually, Measure of a Man is in season two, which is also not great. Like season one and two, of okay, season two is probably worse. <laughs> That's why I was thinking of it in those terms. Yeah, thank you. Um, and an appropriate use of the um actually, not well actually. I appreciate that. Um. And yeah, I, I think I'm with you all. Sarah, you mentioned that they make the prequels better, and I, I definitely think that's true. In a vain attempt to prove to myself that I'm not middle-aged, I've been on TikTok a lot recently. <laughs> and there I've been getting to see a lot of younger folks talk about why they love the prequels, and I've been really appreciating that. They're still not the movies I love, but it, it's nice to see from that point of view. But this is maybe the best thing I can say about the Clone Wars. I feel like my strongest critique of the prequels is that they try to take what should be a very subtle, very nuanced story of the fall of the Republic and the fall of Anakin, like the same story in micro and macro, and tell it in an incredibly ham-fisted way. Mm -hmm. And what the Clone Wars do is to fill in the gaps and to, instead of telling it over three movies, tell it over seven seasons of television. Um, And I just feel like watching this, I get so much more, I know so much more about Anakin, I know so much more about Obi-Wan, I feel like I understand the fall of the Republic so much more. And and I also just got introduced to a lot of great characters along the way and a lot of great, you know, learning more about the clones, learning more about the how the war changed things. And then especially, I, I've always loved the show for those reasons, but I feel like especially now, you know, in the last couple months when we found out about all this new Star Wars content that was coming out, and, and some of it was during Mandalorian, you know, Ahsoka, we see finally live on television, um, Bo-Katan, like... All of these things that had first gotten started in the Clone Wars are starting to come to life. It makes me really love this show even more because it makes me now feel like it's not the kind of redheaded stepchild of the Star Wars universe anymore, but it's becoming a respected part of the canon. That just makes me love it a lot more and really enjoy going back and watching it again. Yeah, and I totally agree with what you're saying about the prequel movies being very ham-fisted. It's been probably a decade since I've watched them. Uh, but I do remember it thinking, like, oh, there was so much potential. This could have been, like, a really nuanced, um, like, the the dark side believes that they're the good guys and they're doing mm-hmm. what's right. But, it, yeah, the movies just, I, I agree, felt very ham-fisted, right? Like, we're bad because we're bad. Whereas the Clone Wars, yeah, they get into that nuance. Um, and especially Anakin's character, I yeah. really like. And at, at the end of season three here, we started... Um, kind of really exploring his slow downward spiral towards the dark side mm-hmm. instead of just like, Hey, your wife's sick. So dark side. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, 
we I just recorded an episode for Superhero Ethics about Doctor Doom and different understandings of heroes and, and antiheroes and stuff. And because we're talking about other examples, we started talking about how Anakin from the Clone Wars the Clone Wars is really where he moves from being a hero to a strong anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, I really like that because we're starting, especially right about now where we are at the end of season three, you know, he's still doing heroic things, but his judgment is starting to get really questionable. And sometimes he's clearly giving into anger and we're starting to see the attachments that are so important to him that don't seem like, and in some ways that's a, it doesn't seem like that's his fault. It's the fault of the Jedi for not giving him room to explore those, but like all those questions are being opened up. Yeah, and he's he's starting to pull at those threads of, like you're saying, like the the, the Jedi Order, and like maybe maybe this doesn't make sense. Maybe mm-hmm. there is a, a different way that we should be handling things. You know, maybe the the Jedi shouldn't be in charge here. Yeah, um, yeah. We're also seeing a lot more of the Obi Wan dynamic, mm-hmm. whereas in the movies it felt like Obi Wan just you know couldn't control Anakin and right. be a good teacher to him but i think in the clone wars we see much more that obi-wan chose not to or didn't feel like he could live up to the ideal of qui-gon right and so like that failure is much more painful to me because you know it isn't just like i can't control this kid like he's he's too much for me he there are specific decisions that Obi-Wan makes or chooses to do or chooses not to take action uh, with regards to Anakin that, um, in hindsight, you know, we know is going to be very costly. Yeah. And I'm, we're going to talk about Obi-Wan in depth in a little bit, but I'm really interested in that story, especially because one of the stories that we know we're getting is we know we're getting a Kenobi TV show. As part of like getting ready for that, there's already been a novel about Kenobi. And in the novel he spends an awful lot of time thinking about that stuff and talking about the regret he has and questioning his decisions. And a lot of what you said about the living up to Qui-Gon is part of it. So it's it's really fun, I think, to to get to see all that, knowing that we're going to see the character explore his feelings about it um, in the shows coming up. There's a lot of great things in the show, and that's why we're excited to to watch it together and to talk to people about it. But as I think we're all being pretty realistic, there's some some parts about it that are not so great. And we we have, we do spend a good deal of time on these episodes, either um, sometimes just you know, wringing our hands and saying this is a pretty crummy episode, and other times saying okay, well this is one more of those things that we kind of laugh at and maybe have a bit of fun poking fun at the ridiculousness and stupidity of it. Um, what are the things that are maybe not been the greatest about the show so far? Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. <laughs> Battle droids. Yeah. Jar Jar is still here. Uh, Battle droids. The Roger Roger are still here. Um, one thing that we do talk about a lot, um, Jar Jar Binks is an annoyance for sure, but uh, one thing Enrique, I know, all three of us, I think, uh, and I really appreciate that from, from all of us, uh, but Enrique, I think you've been particularly insightful in a lot of ways on this. There's a lot of racist themes that come up in this, and Jar Jar and the Trade Federation, I think, are some of the most prominent, but we do often get um, a lot of the different alien races are coded to particular nationalities or ethnic groups in ways that sometimes can be very stereotypical. And I think that's, that's definitely, I think one thing we, we, we do comment a lot because I think it's worth, you know, pointing out that um, some of the problems with the show are laughable and some of them are really problematic. Yeah. And it, it's stuff that I think was got more popular, more commonplace in the two thousands. Um, and so it wasn't a like, I, yeah, it, it was it was done more, and so I think pointing it out now in hindsight, like, hey, this really wasn't cool, is important as well. 
Well, this is all kind of um, stemming from the original fantasy tropes of J.R. Tolkien. Right. Right? The orcs are bad, the elves are good. And sci-fi certainly borrowed elements of this where you saw in Star Trek, you know, all Klingons are warriors, all Romulans are sneaky, all Vulcans are logical. Like, you, you can't just have an entire race of beings all have this monolithic trait like that. Like, it's it's a useful shorthand for television, but it, it leads to bad characterizations. Yeah. I think, I mean, Star Trek in later seasons and shows did a, I think did a better job of starting to play with like what the exceptions are. And I'm hoping to see more of that in Star Wars. But I think Clone Wars definitely falls into that. Along with, we're still in the um, part of the Star Wars universe where every planet has a monoterrain. And there's nice planet, yeah. there's a forest planet, there's a <clears throat> desert planet. And um, I just did a review of one of the books, um, one of the first new books, Light of the Jedi, which is a very good book. And in it, they did talk about a planet that had multiple to, uh, kinds of to, uh, topography. So I'm excited that maybe we're breaking away from that in this universe. Well, I think we've only seen, was it Kessel that had like sort of two uh, like geographical areas, but everything else was just, yeah, like you were saying, one thing, mm-hmm. which doesn't feel super realistic. Yeah. So yeah, hoping to get... I mean, I don't know. Maybe Earth's just weird. Maybe it's weird that we have so many different <laughs> geographical locations. But yeah, it feels... I don't know. Things like the forest moon of Endor, I can give a pass to. Because like, it's a moon. It's kind of small. We had an ice moon in the Clone Wars as well. And I'm kind of like, eh. It's yeah. a moon, probably. But yeah, there are entire planets. Like, Coruscant's probably not all. <laughs> just one. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Well, at least that one, it's been built up. Um, mm-hmm. and it's funny, in the book I just mentioned, they specifically talk about the topography of Coruscant before it was built over. Mm. But yeah, some of the planets are uh, a little silly in that regard. Um, and then there's, I think, just, it's funny, I think, I think the thing I like so much about the show is that it, it tells the story of something like the fall of Anakin. And on the one hand, I think three movies was way too short. There is sometimes where it feels like seven seasons is a little too long, because they have to sort of like slowly take him down that elevator and then give him some plateaus and and you know it, it's, it's not a perfect show but i think there's just definitely so much there that's worth diving into and worth talking about and we'll have some fun tearing apart the parts that make no sense for example the <laughs> fact that space battles are fought completely two-dimensionally for reasons that make no understanding yeah that's <laughs> that's a pet peeve of mine i don't <laughs> i don't know um but yeah I, and i think like the, the first season as we've mentioned is a bit slow but other than that like i think i don't have any like real overarching problems with clone wars there are like things that come up in episodes and i'm like this one specific thing yeah is kind of dumb in this <laughs> one episode but i think that's like that's anything really right like even really great tv shows so you're probably right. like well why did why did the my most beloved character do this when they could have just done something else yeah i don't know i think the biggest missed opportunity for me is more about the separatists Mm. yeah you know more than just dooku and grievous the the few episodes we get are great and and we have to extrapolate so much from those yeah and i would have just liked to have seen more of what is going on behind the scenes of this other government that again like these people think they have legitimate claims to to this war 
Yeah, well, especially like, through Mandalore too, right? Right. And I think that's a great point because, and that's really about filling in one of the gaps from the movies, because in the movies, we never really understand why they're separating, and we never really understand why the Republic has to fight to stop them. Um, and the show, I feel like, does fill that in somewhat. And it's still a lot of, you know, Sidious and Dooku pulling all the strings, but we do get to spend time with at least a couple of separatists who honestly believe in their cause. But I think, as you're right, nowhere near enough in the parts we do, like, the hardest thing the show has to deal with is that it is a show for younger children that is also about both complex moral problems, but also at the heart, it's about trade trade route negotiations and <laughs> yeah. banking clans and interest rates. And like, in some ways, it was, it was fascinating because it was both a, a kid's show that was kind of doing a lot of commentary on the Gulf War that was happening at the time that it was coming out, you know, and talking about war profiteering and stuff like that. And it's frustrating, I think, because we get these great moments and then it just becomes very ham-fisted <laughs> in how mm -hmm. it tells the story. So with that, let's move into some of the characters. And the first one that I want to talk about, because we literally get introduced to her in this show, and she's obviously becoming a much bigger part of the universe now, is Ahsoka. Um, talk to us about Ahsoka and kind of... Uh, what we've learned about this character so far and how we feel about her. Well, she's a kid. She's the Padawan to Anakin Skywalker. And I think given that this is a cartoon, she was written originally to, to be like a proxy, you know, for the kids who are watching this to have someone to identify with. Right. Yeah. Well, she's, so we didn't watch the movie that occurs before Clone Wars. And I think nothing. that's, pardon? You miss nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like where she's first introduced as like a character, right? Right. Yeah. So then she comes in. Uh, oh, gosh. She's so horribly annoying in the first season. And now we're like here in season three and I love her so much. Um, yeah. yeah. She comes in as like Vicky was saying, uh, Anakin's Padawan, but she's like super annoying, very like, know-it-all. She has goofy nicknames for everyone and everything. Um, and then, by the end of it, she's, like, calling Anakin out on... No, not by the end of it. By the end of season three. She's calling Anakin out on his bullshit. Yep. Like, criticizing <laughs> him. And, yeah, in the, the past group of episodes we just watched, she's saying, like, you know, why do you get to break all the rules, but I don't? I'm right. learning this from you, right? And she's really holding her own. Uh, is... Yeah, being a, a great Jedi. Oh, yeah, and she's just like a really cool, really compelling character. I feel she's, like she's, Go ahead. she's not a, a Jedi yet, and I think that yeah. goes back to my original point in that even Luke, right, when he comes back in Return of the Jedi, is close to mastery of the Force. Right. Like, he can do things at a very high level. And I think this, having Ahsoka presented to us in this way as the learner really gives us an opportunity to see someone come into their own in the force and I, I, that's part of the journey here mm -hmm. is seeing her struggle with some things that we have seen other characters just do very easily yeah um i i think there was did we watch one recently or is it in still in the future where she does like the jedi mind trick right for the first mm -hmm. time yeah i think that was this in this in season three yeah, and she like stumbles on it a couple of times, yeah. and then it works. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. And, you know, with the, the two main Force users who we've gotten to see, or the three main, I guess, Anakin, um, Luke, and Rey, 
they all like start out knowing nothing and then very quickly develop great force powers, as you said. And it's because of who they are and also just, you know, but like Luke goes to Dagobah, he moves some rocks and now he's a force user. Like it's a little rushed. And it is great to see all that through Ahsoka's eyes and to see, I love her as a force user growing. I I have to say, I think the relationship between Ahsoka and Anakin may at this point be my favorite in all of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and it, here's the one thing you get from that movie is that Obi-Wan and Yoda explain that they want Anakin to take on a Padawan because they know that he's not perfectly towing the line. And, and so the feeling is that if he has to teach someone else how to be a good Jedi, then he'll also have to be a good Jedi. Of course, that's immediately blown <laughs> completely out of the water. And, you know, a lot of what you see is kind of the, like, you know, I learned it from watching you. Like, Ahsoka is developing. She learns a lot of, you might say, bad habits about the Force. Or you might say that Anakin is asking really good questions about ways in which the Jedi are wrong. And, and Ahsoka's kind of that person in the middle. Like, she believes in the Jedi, I think, a lot more than Anakin does. But also understands some of the critiques he has. And the way their relationship goes from master Padawan to teacher student to almost older brother, younger sister to almost peers. And then the way that, you know, um, we all know where Anakin winds up and there are scenes later in shows where they have confrontations. It just, I think is one of the most beautiful and the most clearly the most tragic stories in all of Star Wars. Oh yeah. And I, I often, comment like why why is Anakin given a Padawan clearly he's so bad at it but mm-hmm. I think it is really good ultimately for Ahsoka to have this non-conventional training like she's not being indoctrinated the way that a lot of younglings right. are um and I think that yeah, that stems from like well Anakin first of all just being able to get away with so so much because he's the chosen one right um and not being trained until he was yeah a kid already but she she doesn't go down the same path that Anakin does, right? Like she doesn't take it to its extreme and like just give in to the dark side. Like you were saying, she begins to question the Jedi but still maintains this like inherent goodness. It's kind of like a nature versus nurture thing that's going on. With oh, her. that's a good point, yeah. I don't know. It's yeah, it, it's really interesting to see her develop so much personality, right? Whereas all and kind of lacking a lot of that Jedi stoicism. Mm-hmm. I think what happens, I, I agree that the Anakin Ahsoka confrontations, you know, after he turns are, are some of the most heartbreaking uh, in all of Star Wars. Um, and I think it's because we were denied that uh, between Anakin and Obi-Wan because of the order that the movies were created and either the secret or they didn't even know that the the character was going to be this, right? Mm -hmm. So when Obi-Wan confronts Vader on the Death Star, it's just like, you were my former apprentice, but they, not that it was Anakin Skywalker who fell to the dark side. So I think if that scene were to be rewritten with the knowledge we have now of their characters, like I would hope that it would be very different mm-hmm. and that there would be more emotion behind it between these two, you know, former friends. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And I think you're right. Ahsoka helps to do that. It also, I think, helps to fill in the gap of 
the other relationship that I think is supposed to help be that tragic part of Anakin's story, but I think for many of us never really landed, which is Padme and Anakin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, I think we, we all talked about how in the series, like in the movies, you have no idea why Pan- Padme ever loves this kid. He just seems like a fuckboy. boy. Um, <laughs> in, in, that's my perspective. Again, I've heard a lot of folks who really love their romance. God bless you. I'm still going to make fun of, I don't like snow. I don't like sand. Um, <laughs> but, but it's coarse. <laughs> and we'll talk about this in a bit. I do feel like the, the chemistry between the actors and the Clone Wars of Padme and Anakin is much stronger. But even there, we never really get the. We know that Padme loves him enough to just die when he turns evil, as though that's biologically possible. But I never feel like. I never feel heartbroken about Padme in the way I do about Ahsoka. And I think that's one thing that the. Ahsoka's love for Anakin makes me feel the tragedy of his story that much more in a way that Padme never did. I think I think for me, a lot of their interactions, Padme and Anakin's interactions in Clone Wars kind of hammer home what a dysfunctional relationship they have. Yeah. Um, like, it doesn't... I don't know. At no point do I ever feel like they love each other. I feel like they got married and now they're trying to make it work in secret mm-hmm. um and it's just this weird almost uncomfortable way they have of dealing with each other where like clearly they were attracted to each other at some point but they're not allowed to openly express their feelings for each other and it, like they're rarely spending time together right. and when they are it's this like weird oh hey i guess you're my wife right i guess you're yeah. my husband maybe we should <laughs> hang out yeah let's argue about this cake Right. (laughs) With a couple of moments of them basically leaving a sock on the door for Obi-Wan. Like, I feel like one of the things that the Clone Wars is establishing is that within the the immediate circle, the fact that Anakin and Padme are lovers, let alone married, is not a very well-kept secret. And that it is pretty clear that Obi-Wan at least suspects by this point. Yeah, I think later in the series, we later in Clone Wars, we get more of the, like... Obi-Wan plus Anakin plus Padme. Right. Um, relationship? I don't know. That, that makes it sound like they're in some weird tri- love triangle. They're <laughs> not. Um, but, yeah, it's just... It's weird. I don't know. I'm, I'm glad that in season three, the Padme-Anakin thing hasn't come up too much. Because, honestly, like like you were saying, I'm much more invested in his relationship with Ahsoka. Even yeah. though it's a completely platonic one. Um and yeah, I just there there are so many more reasons for him to turn to the dark side than just he loves Padme and the Jedi told him not not to right. basically. And I think that's a good way to uh, segue into. Let's actually talk about Anakin because I feel like we are getting a lot of of those other reasons that so much of it's about his attachments, not just to Padme but to Ahsoka. You know, and that there's a number of times where he's willing to break every Jedi rule to go after Ahsoka and to save her. And that he, um, and this is kind of another major theme, is one of the things, again, I think that the the show gets right, that the movie's never really connected, is how much being generals in a war was a big part of how the Jedi lost their way. That's obviously very much Palpatine's whole plan. But that part of it is that they have to be, they're, they're supposed to be the defenders of life. And they're commanding this army of clones 
And it's not really clear what the value of clone life is. Like I think we're supposed to think it's as valuable as anyone else and we'll get more into that. But I love that Anakin is clearly, he believes in the lives and the goodness and the, the value of all of the clones who fight with him in ways that most of the Jedi don't. And that puts him at odds with a lot of the Jedi. And that's something he's really struggling with. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like you're saying, it's not just Anakin's attachment to Ahsoka. It's like he's, his attachment with Obi-Wan as well. His attachment with R2-D2. Yeah. Right? Like there's, there's an episode where he completely disobeys orders, puts a lot of clones in danger to go after his droid. And he says it's because like, oh, I haven't wiped his memory. It would be really dangerous if uh, the Separatists got a hold of R2-D2. But like, it's not. It's because he loves that little robot. And that's... I mean, like, I love him as well. He's a yeah. droid, not a robot. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's Anakin's attachment to everything. And also, yeah, like you were talking about the clones, how he seems to have a much more, a much greater sense of clone individuality. Mm-hmm. Even though in the very first episode of Clone Wars, we're meant to um, think that Yoda has this sense as well. Right. I don't know, the only one who really demonstrates it is Anakin. And Ahsoka, I think. And Ahsoka. And, like, Obi-Wan <clears throat> to some extent, but I think it's just because, like, that's our our main three who are palling around together. Right. So, a couple of times you, you two have mentioned Anakin's fall being tied to Padme. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how it's presented at the end of Revenge of the Sith. But I I think his fall is actually more tied to the loss of his mother mm-hmm. in Attack of the time. Clones. There's, um... You know, in The Mandalorian, when we meet Ahsoka again, she talks about how Anakin fell when he lost her, I think, is what she right. says. Something along those lines. But she she doesn't say her, her name. And so there's a lot of speculation on, is she talking about Padme or is she talking about Shmi? Right. Because when when he loses his mother, he, he slaughters a village of Tusken Raiders. Right, and so like arguably, he already fell to the dark side at that point, right? And it just wasn't evident to everyone else yet. Well, what I feel like the show is doing a great job of highlighting is how those things are incredibly connected. You know that, and he talks about this in the show that part of what losing his mother like that was so hard for him was that he felt like he didn't have control. He couldn't stop this terrible thing from happening, and so now I think and. and you know, canonically in the third movie, it's because he wants control over being able to protect Padme. Uh, and, and I think you're right. We don't. It, I think it's much more about what happened with Shmi. But it's now it's that like, if even if he started to turn to the dark side already, the reason why he keeps wanting to grasp for more power is because Ahsoka's in danger and he doesn't have the power to stop her, or the clones are dying and he doesn't have the power to stop her. And I think we're just seeing more and more. Both because he has this love for others, but also because, you know, there's a lot of ego wrapped up in that, that his vision of himself is the great protector and that anytime someone dies who he should be protecting, he's failed. Um, and so I, I just love seeing that. I, th- I think you're right. It all stems from he couldn't stop Shmi from dying and he never wants that to happen again. And every time it does happen in any way, it just reminds him, I don't have enough power yet. I have to be able to have this power to stop people I love dying. Yeah, he's definitely a control freak. Um, yeah, I guess I'd like I said, it's been a while since I've seen the the prequels, and I kind of forgot about his mom dying. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like now that you mentioned it, like that, that makes sense. And I think it also ties into the theme, the general theme of Anakin has a lot of attachments that he's not quote unquote supposed to have. Right. Obviously a big part of Anakin's story also is Obi-Wan and how, mm-hmm. as we talked about, Obi-Wan could be doing all of these things to, to stop it. Um, I, I really love that not only are we getting a lot about Obi-Wan and Anakin, we're also just getting a lot about Obi-Wan. We're getting much more of his internal life. And it's everything from like the very serious to his feelings about other people and his feelings about being a Jedi to as a uh, Riki, as I believe you've ever heard to him, he's the Steve Irwin of the universe. Like pretty much every episode, <laughs> if he goes to a new planet, he finds a big, a big scary creature who he can make his friend and ride all over the place. Obi-Wan is delightful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love Obi-Wan. And he's and he's got I mean attachment issues of his own right like with Satine, but yeah oh he's just so he's comedic relief right like there's never an inopportune moment for a sarcastic remark from Obi Wan Kenobi and I love it yeah um, but he's also like very serious as well like he's that bridge between the traditional like Jedi way and Anakin's screwing around. And I think the one thing we really are seeing is that, and, and, and Ricky, I'm wondering if this is what you're referring to earlier, he's always critiquing Anakin, but never in a, like, Anakin, you have to stop doing that. It's very much a, like, you know, well, there goes Anakin again. What do you expect? And it'll sort of make a sarcastic jibe or maybe even a bit of a scold if Anakin does something that gets everyone in trouble. But he never really seems to be ath- asserting his authority to say, like, no, Anakin, you're on the wrong path. This has to stop. Yeah, I I mean, I think a couple of times we've seen Ahsoka disciplined, like in a very real way, like they tell her to go work in a library, right? It's like community service Mm -hmm. in one of the episodes. And there's another one where they um, basically ground her and don't let her go on a mission. But I don't I don't know that we see that with Anakin. And so, yeah, you're right that Obi-Wan often chides him, but never disciplines him. I mean, and I think a lot of that is Obi-Wan and Anakin. A lot of it's also just the way the Jedi are structured. We talked in the first season and some of the second, we got a lot of like intergalactic war. And we have a lot less of that in this third season, which I think a lot of us really like. Um, but one thing we saw a lot in those first couple seasons was, you know, all the Jedi are generals. And maybe Mace Windu or Obi-Wan or Yoda can kind of come up with a plan, but there's no actual chain of command. And so if Anakin, if General Anakin wants to go off and do his own thing, Obi-Wan can be like, you really shouldn't do that. But there's no way to be like, Anakin, you're disobeying orders. I'm ordering you to go back to this part of the mission. It's, I think it's subtle. It's not commented on, but it's really highlighting how the Jedi are not really set up to fight this war. And it's, it's damaging them to try. Hmm. So you're saying like from a military perspective, they're both the same rank, but from like a Jedi order perspective – because Obi-Wan's his master, yeah, if, he should be. Basically, like, if they are all generals, there is no leader. Mm. Mm. And I think this also opens up some space for Sidious, right, to sneak in and exert leadership over this war. Right. And drive it in a way that he wants. I mean, we started to see a little bit, not that this character is connected to Sidious at all, but we recently met um, a Captain Tarkin who obviously becomes Grand Marf Tarkin. And he has this great conversation with Anakin where he's saying that he doesn't think the Jedi are good people to, to fight a war because they're not ready to 
to do the things that need to be done. And the structure isn't a military structure. Um, and I think it, it really highlights it, this idea that – and then Anakin feels that same frustration. He wants the Jedi to be more organized and powerful and able to assert their authority. Sidious is Palpatine, right? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I, uh, they so rarely refer to him as Darth Sidious that I occasionally get confused. I do mm-hmm. know his first name Sheev. That's fun. Yep. Cool. Sheev Palpatine. Sheev. Sheev Palpatine. And what's <laughs> Dooku's Tyrannus? Is he Darth Tyrannus? Yeah, Dooku is Darth Tyrannus, yeah. Okay. Um, I just want to say one last thing about Obi-Wan, and then let, let's actually move to our uh, our mm. Sith antagonists. Um, we've only gotten the beginning of the story, and no spoilers, it, although it is a story that rec- uh, recurs. Uh, one of you uh, mentioned the character of Satine. Can you talk a little bit about who is Satine, and, and how is she a very important part of Obi-Wan's story so far? I can't. I'm crying. <laughs> um, Satine is... The leader of the Mandalorians? Yep, the um, Duchess. Duchess. Okay, yeah, I couldn't remember her title. Um, the they When we first meet them, they're, they're part of the Separatists. I think by this point, they've separated from the Separatists, and are there... No. There, no, not yet? Mandalore is the leader... The, among the leaders of the, the neutral states, or whatever, neutral planets. Yeah, isn't that not Separatist anymore? No. It's different. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah it, it's like it's a third faction. It's kind of like the the non the uh, the non aligned states during the the Cold War between the Soviets and the and NATO and that kind of but thing. They, they, they were like partnering with the separatists at the beginning, right? No, no. They are presumably mm-hmm. still a, they they are still part of the Republic, but they are choosing not to participate in the war. What? Right. I'm so confused. Then why it, was Padme there? Okay. <laughs> It's been a little while since we watched it, and it's, we're going to do a couple episodes just on the Mandalorians because it gets very confusing. Oh my um, gosh! Yeah, and the but, whole like political intrigue thing is not my not my bag. What I got gotcha. you. Just to give kind of the quick summary, and Ricky, correct me where I where I stumble here, but because I think it's very relevant to what we know about the Mandalorians from the show today. Um, what we learn is that Duchess Satine is the leader of the Mandalorian people and is trying to establish the idea that they do not have to be a warrior race anymore. It's trying to establish a peaceful Mandalore and that there are these breakaway groups um, uh, and Death Watch is one part of them. And the implication is that the group that um, Jin is is, uh, connected to was also a part of them that have broken away because they do want to preserve the Mandalorian history. And we'll go into all that, but I think the the really important part of the story is that at at some point in the show, both Ahsoka and Obi-Wan wind up traveling to Mandalore and getting involved in all these struggles. And we learn that Obi-Wan and Satine have a past. And it's really it's not really established in any way, and we're going to talk about it more as the seasons go on, but it's certainly established that Obi-Wan at one point had very strong feelings for her. And I feel like part of what they're setting up is the idea that, and I really hope they explore this in, in the Kenobi show or something like that, because I feel like kind of part of what is happening is that part of why Obi-Wan is, is sending a blind eye to Anakin and Padme is because he remembers how hard it was for him to let go of Satine. Um, just for the seasons you've seen, is that that's something you feel like we're getting? Yeah, there's there's one episode, and I can't remember if it's in seasons one through three, or if it's later, because we went ahead and watched them, where like Anakin and Obi-Wan are all on a ship and Anakin has to go save Padme and they talk about Satine in a bit and Obi-Wan basically tells 
Anakin like they get in a fight and Anakin's like I'm gonna I'm gonna do the thing Mm-hmm. That you couldn't do. Satina's also on that ship, if I recall correctly. Yeah, this this was in uh, season two, season three, I believe. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, and so then there's like I think it's more than implication, don't they? Like outright say that Obi Wan and Satine had a had a fling, like were dating. I think I thought the implication was that he was very tempted to break his vows and and maybe mm-hmm. even to leave the Jedi for her, but he never actually crossed the line. Okay, so I thought they meant like leave the Jedi so they could get like get married or something. Not. Oh no, I, mean, I I think that, but I, but I mean, I don't think that they ever like. I mean, also it's a kids show, so I don't, yeah, it's sure. be very fade to black. But I I think the idea is that he has not he has not romantically or like you know he's not kissed her or anything like oh, that. Oh come on, they did they did. It. <laughs> it's certainly possible, certainly possible. Um, Just like insert Moulin Rouge. Because that—that's what this is based on. That's true. It, uh, uh, Ewan McGregor, even though it's not the Ewan McGregor playing the the, the voice actor, the Ewan McGregor character has to have a tragic love affair with a character named Satine. That's just kind of weird. yeah. Um, I will say one other thing to make this character interesting is um, Satine is the sister of of Bo-Katan, who we meet obviously in the Mandalorian. Uh, Bo-Katan is also a very important part of the Clone Wars, and who we'll see a lot more of. Um. Anything more on Obi-Wan before we move on? Kenobi. <laughs> yes, we, we do end most of our episodes with that. So our main antagonist, we have a lot of different antagonists, which is something I like. It's it's a lot of the um, others and stuff, but to start out with, a lot of the antagonists are obviously the Sith. And we have um, Sidious is there, but we don't see him on screen much. Mostly it's Dooku and then Ventress, who's been introduced. And we'll talk about some of the non-Sith in a moment. But um, someone tell me about Ventress and sort of where she comes from and, and what role she's played so far. Ventress uh, was originally a Jedi, or at least a Padawan. And then her her master was killed in front of her. And she ends up basically being adopted by Dooku mm-hmm. and being trained as a Sith assassin. Right. So... You know, this is the classic tale of um, the rule of two, is that the apprentice, Dooku, is already training his own apprentice in hopes of overthrowing Sidious and becoming the master. Right. Can I can I jump in with an um, actually? Go for that, it. Um, Ventress was originally a night sister, and the night mother sold her um, to someone who wasn't Dooku. Um, then that person died. And then she got picked up by the Jedi, then became a Padawan. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, the, the Night Sisters... Everyone dies. A... Let's go <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not even going to talk much about them, but the Night Sisters are a great introduction to the story. They're witches, and they're basically dark force users who are not Sith. And I think it's really interesting that they introduced that idea of, this in the same way that the Jedi are not the entirety of the force users... Um, the, the Sith are not the entirety of Dark Force users. Yeah. And the Night Sisters have a lot to do with like Darth Maul and everything as well. Right. Um, but yeah, Ventress is like, uh, she's super cool. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like about her character? She's like the classic femme fatale. Um, and just like, is, is, is PG-13 sexy. <laughs> yes. Um, with her clothes that make no logical sense. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, and there's, like, one amazing scene where she, like, force grabs 
some dude and like I think she kisses him where she like almost yeah, goes yeah, to yeah. kiss him and then stabs him with a lightsaber. Classic, I'm going to kiss you as I stab you. Yeah. There are um, a lot of tweens and teenagers who their interest in very, very strong, powerful women started with this show. <laughs> that is no, not to be doubted. Oh, that's great. And, and she just like is over Dooku's shit, which is great too. She's, mm-hmm. she's over Dooku. Um, right. Isn't afraid to like stand up to him. Uh, has a weird revenge plot that doesn't quite go her way against him. Um, yeah, but, but by the time we're, where we are now, at the end of season three, we've seen her be both a loyal servant to Dooku for a while. And I think in some ways she's meant to be kind of a mirror to um, Ahsoka in some ways. Like they're, they're both, mm-hmm. although uh, I think Ventress is supposed to be more like 1920, whereas Ahsoka is more like 12 or 13. But and then at some point, as you were saying, um, uh, Riki, we know that the rule of two is that the apprentice is supposed to train their own apprentice if they're thinking of maybe taking over. And so Sidious, at one point, orders Dooku to try and kill us to try and kill Ventress. He fails, and then Ventress turns to the Night Sister to try and get revenge. And we get this whole little great plot line all about that. Yeah, they should really just call it the rule of two point five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think at some point they realized like. The rule of two sounds cool, but only having two characters really limits you. Um, so. Well, it just the, from a from an in universe perspective, like the the rule of two just doesn't seem like a great idea. It's yeah. not really going to have like a successful propagation of Sith if there's only ever two of you. If your whole training model is antagonize my apprentice until they murder me and get their own apprentice, right? Like, eh. And there's all sorts of reasons. I mean, there's a whole set of books that are about how even before the rule of two was even worse because everybody was killing each other. But you're right. I think we're also seeing like the rule of two is more uh, understood as a theory, not a it, it, it's it's guidelines. It's not written in stone, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. like the it's like the pirates' code. Um, I also I also really like how Ventress gets a bunch of digs in at Grievous because mm-hmm. um, they're both sort of working with under. Dooku, yeah, um, but clearly hate each other. It's great. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're they they are at the same time vying to be the number two, mm-hmm. right? To Dooku or the number three. I don't know. Yeah, well, like not not anymore because of the whole yeah. trying to kill Ventress thing. But 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 Grievous also like he constantly refers to her as assassin mm-hmm. to yeah. to demean her position. Yeah, and, and yeah. I mean you can see that. Dooku always seemed kind of pathetic in the movies. Like I never, Christopher Lee is fantastic, but I never really got a sense of who Darth Tyrannus was. I do feel like the the show fills him out a lot more and shows how good a manipulator he is. And one of those things is, yeah, he's he's constantly having Ventress and Grievous before he tries to kill Ventress fight for his attention and fight for you know it's it, that like daddy keeping the two siblings like who's going to be daddy's favorite kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. We do get a lot more Grievous, and I feel like we've had sort of up and down feelings. Um, we're learning; we learn more about Grievous. You have up and down feelings. Oh, oh no, no! Sing me the song. Perpetual admiration. Tell me, tell me what we love about Grievous in the show. Grievous is just like his full, like robotic awesomeness on display. <laughs> I just, I get, I laugh gleefully every time he does the exorcist spider walk and especially if he does it like on the ceiling or something like upside yeah. down it's great uh-huh. yeah and we've got a c- 
couple episodes. I, I, I do wish we got more into depth into Grievous's decision to basically like replace his entire body with a robot part. Right. Um, but even that, I mean, it's an important thing we learned that he's not just he's not a droid that was built mm-hmm. to be a super droid. He is, I, I think, in some ways, kind of the proto version of the Darth Vader technology. He is was once a living being who his body was mostly destroyed or no, it was even because he just wanted to be immortal or. I totally no, I think, I, I think, think like his shuttle injured. got blown up. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. He was but injured. He, and, yeah. and yeah, so his body. He's Robocop. It's his consciousness and his heart still, his actual living heart rebuilt in this robot consciousness. Yeah. I and think his he, lungs. Yeah. yeah. I think Cause he that's why he coughs. Like, right. The robot with tuberculosis. Have... Yeah, he has, like, eyes or something like that, and they got replaced in this season. I don't know. But, yeah, he's got a few organs left, um, but is mostly robot. Um, has four lightsabers, because that's cool. And I think because his original body had four arms, so they kind of, like, kept that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I don't I don't know about his original form. He's just... He's, but, yeah, all, yeah. The, all the four, four lightsaber scenes, because that, that was one of the cooler moments... In Revenge of the Sith, when he fights Obi Wan and then like detaches the extra arms and has four lightsabers and they start spinning, mm-hmm. and and we just get a lot more of that throughout yeah. this show. That's definitely true, and and just the rivalry between him and Obi Wan is so good in terms of the way they just clearly hate each other. Or, or I mean, oh, Obi Wan yeah. I think is more just kind of amused by him, but uh, Grievous is just so focused on wanting to you know kill kill Kenobi and hating Kenobi. <laughs> I don't know. I think because Grievous, even like during the show, has killed several Jedi, mm-hmm. and he, like before that, he has done so too. Like that's where he gets all these lightsabers. I think Obi Wan takes him pretty seriously and wants to eliminate him. Definitely. But I don't know. He's Obi Wan, so he's always got to have like some snappy remark, you know, like right. Spider Man esque. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I just checked. His species only has two arms. They're just humanoid. But actually okay. Reptile. Anyway. Um, yeah. It's Keelish or Kalish. I can't okay. pronounce it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like how brutal he is. Not just to like, towards the Jedi, which he is, but towards his own horses. <laughs> oh my <laughs> like, god. <laughs> he treats the battle droids Why? like they're completely disposable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they are, but it's also ridiculous. Like... There was one episode where he just makes them march until their batteries are drained. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're like, General Grievous. Like, that seems pointless. You need to be plugged in. He's like, no, you don't. Keep marching. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, he's, yeah, so he's just like ruthless. And I think this sort of, I don't know, it's, it's fun in a evil sort of way. It's fun because they're droids. Yeah. yeah. So you can get away with it. It's, it's, I think, one of the things the show does establish is that we're discussing how the, the clones have a lot more moral value than we might have thought. The show very clearly is trying to tell you that droids have absolutely no moral value and we can take utter delight in them dying by the thousands in ridiculously funny ways. Um, well, and, think... and we've talked, I think, sometimes about how that, that sometimes raises some questions for us about, like, how they both human – like make the droids relatable in their fear and their funny sayings and then just slaughter them in what are supposed to be funny ways. But it, it is an interesting thing they develop. Yeah, especially like our feelings towards 3PO, who makes an occasional appearance in Clone Wars, and R2-D2, who's there much more regularly, um, versus generic battle droid. 
Right. Um, and even, yeah, like most recently we saw that uh, a few brattle droids were reprogrammed to be the good guys. Um, and even then were treated just as disposably. But I think it, like, with, with yeah, Grievous slaughtering battle droids en masse, his <laughs> own battle droids en masse, it was at a point where I think, like, everyone had become acutely aware of how annoying the battle droids were. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least, like, that that's what I thought. Mm. So the idea of just, like, no more Roger Roger for you. Yeah, We're just gonna, like, end this now. <laughs> Lean into it. Yeah. And uh, one more antagonist we had to discuss was, I think one of you put this on our list, uh, bureaucracy. Yes. <laughs> Talk about that. Well, the whole, like, I, we mentioned earlier how I wish there was more about the separatists, but I, I also wish there was more about the Senate intrigue. Mm-hmm. And Sarah just, like, face palmed. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's too much Senate intrigue, yeah. but... <laughs> I like it because I I feel like it makes the war more relatable. And it really, I feel like what the prequels were trying to do, and and again, they did just painting in very broad strokes, was establish the idea that that good and evil are not so clear cut. And that sometimes, you know, the whole force ideology that you can be fighting what you think is the good fight, but, but fight it for the wrong reasons or in the wrong ways, and it can turn you to the dark side. And... I think it's one of the things we're really seeing is how much the the war is kind of corrupting the Jedi and corrupting the Republic. And um, the Jedi part we've talked about, but I think this bureaucracy point is also important that like a lot of the war is being driven by like the banking clans who want, who are making money by selling the weapons to everybody. Well, go ahead. The, the trade Federation, right? Um, New Gunray, the villain from the Phantom Menace, is you know one of the leaders of the separatists and yet he's working with lot dodd who is still in the senate and is like declared like ah like newt gunray is an extremist like i'm not working with him well i secretly am and it's like they're they're working together to play both sides to profit off the war you're like this is ridiculous how could this ever work and you look at the real world and it happens every day (laughs) it's one of the ways in which there's a lot of actual real world commentary from the Clone Wars. And I remember yeah. watching at the time, as I said, it was doing when the, the Gulf War was happening and we were talking about companies like Halliburton and thinking there it, it's part of why when people then say today, like keep my politics out of star Wars, I'm sort of like, well, I mean, a, they were blowing up fascists in 78. So what are you talking about to begin with? But also the Clone Wars is a very political show in a lot of ways. It's, it's sometimes subtle and sometimes very much not. Yeah, and like, as much as I complain about high tax rates being a major plot point in an mm-hmm. arc of episodes, um, yeah, I, I agree that it does add realism to it. I guess my issue with it is that it's simultaneously too fleshed out and not fleshed out enough. Yeah. Um, like, they, they go into details in weird parts, and, and just enough details to be like, wait, this makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> um, whereas if it was a little more hand-wavy, then y- you could sort of fill in the details yourself about yeah. why why this definitely works. Um, but yeah, I, I do like that our, our antagonist is Sidious, who's sort of pulling the, the strings as, as Palpatine through this whole master plan of his but yeah through tying stuff up in bureaucracy like trying to get money to build more clones but we have to get a loan from the banking clan first because 
mm-hmm. where else are you going to get this money from? And oh, look, Palpatine wears an elaborate headdress but hangs out with the common people. And yeah. Yeah. And, and very Palpatine. much, very much like the political drama of, you know, he, as, as Palpatine, as the Supreme Chancellor, he can try to get stuff to happen, but he still needs the votes in the Senate. Right. right, and you have forces like Bail Organa and Mon Mothma and Padme as senators trying to stop the things that he's doing, not because they know he's evil, but just because they believe in peace, and he is trying to push the war deeper and deeper. And, and you know, we see that all over in politics, right? Like we all have what we believe is the right thing, but we have to convince enough people in a voting body to vote for the things. Right. And, and so I think I, I find that very relatable. Yeah. No, and I, I like that part of the intrigue. And similarly, we also get um, a lot of episodes where they go to different planets who they either they, they just want to be left out of the war. There's a great episode on a pacifist planet where there are people who just like, and they really challenge Ahsoka, especially about why are you fighting? You know, how can you use war to be a peacekeeper? Questions like that. And in other planets where they just they have their own local problems and, and they don't really care about this big war that everyone's talking about. And it, it just makes it a much richer galaxy with, as you're right, it sort of shows that even at this point, Sidious is the reason there's a reason why he wants to become emperor, because right now he's still very limited. Um, the last kind of group of main antagonists that we get, and honestly, these are some of my favorites. Or what I, what I would uh, in the Star Wars universe, they now categorize as the scum and villainy, especially in, like <laughs> the different uh, games and stuff. And. These are like the job of the huts and the, the people who are just out there. They don't care about the war. They don't care about Republic or separatists. They just want to make a buck. They want to steal. They want to live the good life. Um, and they've become bigger and bigger parts of the show. Um, and my, my, I think the two main ones we get are Cad Bane and Hondo. Yeah. Hondo Anaka is so, so delightful. Um, and like Cad Bane too. They're both great. They're both super great. They yeah. both have cool voices and fun hats. Is there, I guess that's not really like Hondo's hat. That's kind of just a head that's like spiky. Anyway. Yeah. I, I feel like they both lend so much character and, and just joy to the universe. And like, I mean, Cad Bane is, is much more just a pure villain. Cad Bane is the, mm-hmm. you know, I'm here to chew all the scenery and talk in a dark, scary voice. And, you know, I'm gonna, I can't do his voice at all, but, um, you know, he talks about how he's gonna like kill the Jedi and, and he's, legitimately scary and menacing he comes up with some great plans and then hondo is just that like hondo reminds me a lot of loki from the marvel universe in that he is playful and fun and he'll come up with a plan that he wants you to be a part of and where you'll get most of what you want to get but he's always going to wind up stealing something from you or like you know pulling one off on you but be like oh no let's be friends it's going to be fine he's he's honestly one of the characters from the clone wars that i most hope we get in live action somehow because i just think he's so much fun yeah hondo is kind of like in the classic vein of han solo or lando calrissian if they had not joined the rebellion and had stayed more independent and like Mm -hmm. i'll help you if it you know makes me a profit yeah till the end like instead of actually joining up cat cat bane is an evil cowboy? I feel like there's a word for that, and I'm totally blanking on it. A black hat? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where he's just, like, going from town to town, taking on t- jobs and doing assassinations. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, Hondo's much more, like, 
a pirate, but kind of a fun pirate. Yeah. Um, with, with that, like, sort of Pirates of the Caribbean ambiguity of, like, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? <laughs> yeah, well, Hondo has... Hondo is a moral nemesis, right? Like, he has a morality to him. Mm, mm. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. Even as he is, you know, tying tying up the heroes. Sure. He's like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to tie you up and steal yeah. your stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. they're going to meet again, and he's going to lend them the, his ship, and it's going to be great. And, you know? He even has that, like, code of honor among thieves, and even when mm-hmm. he's, like, robbing you blind, he'll be like, no, no, I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you not to trust me. And he honestly <laughs> believes he's helping you, you know? He'll call you my friend. It'll be great. Yeah. And um, here's a canteen of water so you don't die of thirst. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do I do think we're going to see a lot more of Hondo, partly because, here's my like real-world examples, he's a main character in the uh, Millennium Falcon Rides in Disneyland and World. And um, the, the Sims recently released an expansion pack that was exclusively star wars based and uh-huh. the leader of the like neutral faction is, is hondo onaka so oh, i feel like fantastic. we're gonna we're gonna see more of him there, like laying more hondo <laughs> groundwork i love the idea of the sims as spoilers i mean that that's where we are with the universe because it's just <laughs> all these different tentacles of the disney marvel star wars yeah. empire you know oh um, they are it's like oh i saw a toy at mcdonald's that means this yeah <laughs> well i think the, the star wars pack was uh not very well received by the Sims community, but I love it. It's great. <laughs> it makes me kind of miss the days when I worked in a, a game store because the, the store I worked at, I mostly ran the Magic the Gathering stuff, but I, you know, I had help with other things. And so every time a new Star Wars movie was coming out, we'd get these boxes a couple weeks beforehand of the new action figures or um, figurines for the X-Wing game and stuff. And they're like, so I knew about a Republic bomber two weeks before the, um, uh, Last Jedi movie, and then when I saw the Republic bombers, I was like, "Oh, cool! That's what those are—the are Resistance bombers." I mean, um, so yeah, it's it, it. I kind of, I would love it if I like worked at a store and like I got the Hondo toy two weeks beforehand, and I was like, "Ah, can't tell anyone." That'd be awesome. They do make toys of like every single character, though, so I don't yeah. know if it's like a huge tell. But yeah, it's I don't know. Hondo's just so—he's so fun, and because he is, he has this code of ethics. It's not like. I don't know, Cad Bane, I feel like, while he's a fun character, there's no point that I'm actually rooting for Cad Bane. Yes. Right? Like, all of his plans are pure evil, and I don't want him to succeed because he's always against our protagonists. Whereas, like, Hondo, you're kind of like, aw, come on, guy. I want you to, I want your crazy little gambit to go through. Yeah. Um, And, like, you're also holding out hope that, you know, he's got that heart of gold, and, oh, maybe he'll last minute decide to turn around and... And help our heroes. Right. Yeah, and he, he shows up in Rebels as well, which is mm-hmm. real fun. Yeah. So I, I think we've got a good chance he'll show up in the universe. But and even if he doesn't, he's... I feel like without characters like him and Cad Bane, it would make Clone Wars a lot harder to watch. Because the parts of it that are... The other parts of it that are good are good, but can be very heavy. And mm-hmm. it is nice to have that kind of like the more fun side of the Star Wars universe. You know, the um, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's so much else we could talk about for the se- for these three seasons we've watched and help people catch up. But I want to close, unfortunately, on one more heavy topic. But I think it's I think it's a big one. Um, and I think it's really been a a major theme of the show and will continue to be. And that's the clones. Um, 
talk talk to me about sort of what we've learned about the clones and the role that the different clones are playing in this show so far. We've learned their names. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, originally in the movies, I think only Commander Cody was ever named. That's true. And yeah. and there was there wasn't really a character. It was just like Obi Wan says Commander Cody a couple times. Um, in this show, many clones are prominent characters. Cody shows up a couple of times, but mostly we get Rex. Um, and it's, it's just an amazing character. And, um, we get a couple others, you know, Echo, Fives, Heavy, and several of them die. And it's, it's actually, um, very emotional. Yeah, I... And as um, Sarah mentioned, they start with this in the very first episode with Yoda. The episode's all about like him pointing out that he doesn't see the clones as just nameless, faceless, that he sees them as individuals. And we kind of lose the Yoda part of it, but I think one of the best parts of the show is learning more about these clones and these people who are – I mean they're aware that they have been bred literally only for war. Like no one has any idea what to do with them after the war. No one has any idea like what kind of lives they should lead, but they still have individuality and they have brotherhood and they have lives together. And in, in what I think are some of those powerful episodes, some of them even start questioning the war. And we've had one episode about one who got really upset about the fact that he was having to be a clone and he kind of fought back to some extent. And, and then and I think in one of my favorite episodes, another who just deserted and, went and had a fan I mean he deserted in part because he kind of got left behind in a battle but he winds up falling in love starting a family having a kid and there's this just great episode where Rex you talked about who's very much like the he is the GI Joe of the clones like he's the he he follows Ahsoka he follows Anakin he's a good character he believe he believes in the cause he believes he's put on this universe in this galaxy to fight this war and the scene where he has to confront a clone who just says, but what if I don't want to fight in a war? If this is a war for freedom, why don't I have the freedom not to fight? It, it, to me, it's brilliant because it's it's subtle. It's not touched on much again, but it really just raises how much of the the very existence of the clones as this basically slave army fighting for freedom just shows the paradox at the heart of everything they're doing. Yeah, totally. And it's, and also you mentioned like the, the clone having children, right? Like why, why would you build a clone that they were even able to reproduce, right? Like that's just kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we really do get to see their, their humanity, but we also get to see in the sort of bureaucracy them being like bought and sold, like pieces of machinery, Right? Like they're 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 like a tank basically. We need more clones, we need more guns, we need more tanks. Um yeah, and uh I don't know, it's so like we I think also like ninety nine was one of the clones. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting topic. So he's a, a quote unquote like defective clone, but isn't like killed or anything like that. Right. They, I mean he he is, but not by um not by the uh, people who make him, I guess. Yeah. It's not like, oh, he didn't turn out, just like cut him right off the assembly line. Um, he's kept around. He takes on sort of like um, custodian duties, mm-hmm. um, but still has like a really 
important role to play and isn't um, isn't really like talked down to by the clones, which I think is really the other clones, right? Which is is nice. Yeah. So obviously, there's this value of individual life within the clones. Yet, a lot of a lot of the Jedi seem to see them as this disposable resource, similar to how the battle droids are being treated. Right. I don't know. Yeah, it's this really weird ethical gray area. Yeah. And and I think that that's a big part of what's, you know, driving the, the fall of the Jedi. And I, I feel like the movies were maybe supposed to say that, but it never came across. And it's just, it's a story that's being told, I think, so much better in the in the show. Hmm. Yeah, and also like why oh I don't even know. Why why clones? Why aren't you using droids? What's the <laughs> what's the reasoning? I don't know. I just Because in a movie in nineteen seventy seven the character said <laughs> Clone Wars. Right. So clearly we have That's to the clone. only reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I do think that I, I think I think that's entirely true. I think you can know they then put it into the story that if it was just droids, there wouldn't be any of this moral crisis for the Jedi. And Palpatine knows that that's going to be part of their fall. Mm. Um, you know? Yeah. I will also just say, I think a part of what makes it makes this so good is uh, D. Bradley Baker is the voice actor who plays literally all of the clones. And so I think he has like one of the records for like the most characters played um, in, in voice acting. Um, and on the one hand, you could be like, well, he's just playing the same character. There are multiple scenes where three or four, three or four clones are having like multi-page conversations among each other with no other characters. And I forget that it's the same actor. Like he does such an amazing job of changing his voice, changing his intonation, changing his speech patterns that I often forget that it's this one actor who's playing literally dozens of characters. And I think that's – it's just one more thing that makes the show great is his voice acting is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah, totally. I think in, in the beginning, they're a little more um, like auditorially homogenous. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get – so, yeah, the, the, the first episode, like I mentioned with um, Yoda talking to these clones and telling them they're individuals, it's out of order in um, – the, the timeline of the episodes. And right. then I think we also get two episodes in, um, or one episode in the first season uh, that's just all about the clones at some far off base in the middle of nowhere where nothing interesting is ever going to happen. Um, something very interesting happens. But we get uh, later two episodes that bracket that first episode. And I think the the individuality in the voice is like super evident in those bracketing episodes, which appear later chronologically, but are not, not timeline wise. I don't know if any of that made sense. Appear later in viewing order, but are in line chronologically. Well, it made sense to me because I can see your hands moving and like putting things in the proper places. Yeah, I realize that this is a podcast and that's not (laughs) ineffective. And and I think you are bringing up one other, I think, big critique of the show that we we did get into. This was a show that was written like just at the time that the internet was really becoming the huge thing it was today. And they weren't thinking in terms of multi-season plot arcs. They were really just writing a lot of like, okay, what episode should we put in now? And 
as a part of that, I think there's a lot of time where they were like, oh, how about this cool episode that would be the prequel to those other episodes that happened two seasons ago? And the result is, and they don't sort of tell you every episode, like, here's where this falls chronologically. Um, and it is, I think, sometimes very confusing to try and watch it. I think in later seasons it becomes a little clearer. And once we get to uh, the last season, it, it is literally just one chronological story. But it is important to know going on, the chronology bounces around a lot. And they don't just, like, announce a date at the start of each episode. And so that can be annoying to, to watch it for sure. Yeah, I, I wish they would. Now you can just find, there's a helpful list on, I think it's like starvers.com, where it tells you the chronology of mm -hmm. all the, the episodes. And I do like that they go back and visit um, older episodes. Right. Um, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't dislike that things are shown out of order. I do dislike that they don't tell us they're out of order right. before showing them. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to really thank Riki because you have been fantastic about doing the research to to always remind us, like, actually, well, this character appeared in this thing two seasons ago, and this is where it falls in the, the order and stuff like that. So He's sitting there making no expression, which is <laughs> very reeky. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, so I think that covers pretty much everything I wanted to say about, like, catching people up with the Clone Wars and getting ready for season four, and uh, whether either you're watching along with us or you want to just listen along and kind of get caught up and both just hear all, all about this great chapter of the Star Wars universe but also all the things that it kind of sets up for the, the new Star Wars content that's coming out. Do you, either of you two have any other kind of last things you want to say or last questions you want to raise or topics you want to discuss? Yeah. Well, I think in um, seasons four and onward, we do get a lot more, like you were saying, multi-episode arcs. Mm -hmm. um, and that if there is something in those arcs that harkens back to an episode in seasons one to three, I think maybe we'll do a, a, a deeper analysis of it or at least like try and get, catch you up so don't don't feel obliged to go back and watch seasons one through three if you're just starting now and you want to listen along with us i guess yeah you certainly can there's a lot of good stuff there's a lot of dreck so up <laughs> to you uh ricky any other kind of last comments or last last thoughts to share or questions race it's about to get real good oh yeah. yeah it really is we're starting to really get into the meat of the show and the acting and the plotting and the dialogue is just, it's really going to become really good. So I'm, I'm super excited about this. Um, Ricky, Sarah, I'm so glad you guys can make so much of your time for this. So whether you're a longtime fan and you want to tell us your own thoughts or ask questions you think we didn't raise or you're new and you're going to go back and watch, or you just want to listen along. I'd love to, we'd love to hear from you. Um, let us know what you think. Give us questions you want us to discuss. Tell us where we were wrong or disagree with us or give us the points you want us to talk about, whatever it is. You can find all the ways to contact us by going to theethicalpanda.com. That's kind of my sort of catch-all for all my podcasting work. All the contact information is there. You can also go to strandedpanda.com, and there you can find out more about the specific um, superhero ethics. I'm oh, sorry. You can find out more about the Star Wars Universe podcast, as well as all the other podcasts that myself and a lot of other great people in the Stranded Panda network are on about Star Wars, Star Trek, MCU, DC, all that great stuff. So... Uh, Ricky and Sarah, thank you all so much to all of you for listening. Thank you so much. Have a great day. I know you do. I see you want to. He doesn't have to. It's okay. Cookies. <laughs> <laughs>